Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Genesis Man Project Podcast. We continue to explore masculine identity through the concepts of reason, roles, and relationship. In part one, we will begin our conversation with Daniel Peters, who is a father, friend, and a contributing part of the Genesis Man Project team. During this episode, we will talk about the challenges of a biracial and blended family, the impact of the loss of a father, and her journey back to faith. First of all, I want to say welcome and uh, want you to know how much I appreciate your taking the time uh, and the opportunity, giving me the opportunity uh, to, to talk with you. I always call you Daniel. Yes. Uh, but what is your full, real, legal name? My name is Daniel Adam Preston Peters. Uh, that is that sounds like you are destined for greatness, my friend. <laughs> well, the more you. names, the better. Um, uh, all right, so so it's definitely um, so great to uh, have an opportunity to to chat with you. So, um, I have been talking to people, um, and we've talked about fatherhood. Um, I, was, I spoke to Andrew last week. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, just a great discussion. And it's so nice to be able to talk to people with, from different lives, with different experiences, mm-hmm. because uh, we are all different. We all have different challenges, and we still try to navigate kind of that same uh, you know, process of family and fatherhood, you know, and... Um, I just think it would be great to talk to as many different people as possible. Um, Also, uh, uh, Daniel, you are also part of the, um, um, the Genesis men project, um, you know, group. And so that's, um, I really appreciate that as well. We'll we'll talk about your family growing up and then we'll talk about your family now, which is going to be kind of the focus when we talk about, you know, fatherhood and family. My father uh, was born in Belize in 1938. Um, He ended up leaving Belize when he was, I think, 20, 20 years old, give or take, and going, getting uh, accepted to university in Wisconsin. Um, So he moved out there to the Green Bay area in, I'm guessing, the early, early 60s. Um, obviously high level racism in those times. Uh, I found out later in life that while he was in Wisconsin attending university, he ended up getting into a racial dispute and ended up getting stabbed in his chest. Oh my. Yes. While he was, uh, a patron at a local restaurant and there was no charges laid on anyone, you know, back in those days, it was black people were very few and far between in these areas. So Whatever occurred, the ambulance had came, questions were asked, no one seen anything, no one knew anything, and he was taken to the hospital and, yeah, taken care of, thank God, and uh, he was able to to heal and get, get better. Um, he finished his university out there, again, no charges, no one got in trouble for this, and uh, he ended up moving to New York, where his brother had lived, to work for a little bit prior to finding opportunity in Canada, where in those days, and like I guess it was like, the early 70s at this point um where they were saying his land of opportunity is canada move to canada 
<laughs> so he moved to Canada yeah. and uh, one of his first positions was a uh, he was a young guidance counselor at Seneca College. And uh, my mother had come there looking for um, uh, uh, for residence because my mom comes from Alliston, a very small uh, little county, I guess, kind of in the Barrie region up there, kind of north north of us. But uh, my mom came there looking for residence because she was attending Seneca College and my dad met her there and got her uh, residence through the Seneca programs and ended up quitting his job so he can uh, pursue my mother. Oh, wow. Yes. And so, where? what's your mom's cultural background? My mother is Canadian. She didn't know black people where she grew up. Like, you know, she, she grew up on a farm. And wow. uh, yeah, she was, she was the only female in her family. Well, it was only her and her brother, her mother and father. Her mother died when she was 16 because her mother had her late. So uh, she passed away when she was 16. So my mom became the caregiver of the home she was you know what i mean um some of the responsibilities were constant cleaning laundry she did a lot of the cooking in her younger years prior to finally getting opportunity to go to college so she had left the home front and yeah like i said went to seneca college and that's where she met my father and she never had a racist piece of her like she she just hadn't experienced black people so when she met my dad being a charismatic man that he was you know mm -hmm. he uh <laughs> She she enjoyed his company, so they started hanging out and got married a couple years later, and that's where I, that's where I came about. I was the I'm the first of our of my siblings, uh, so I was born in Northwood General Hospital, and then my sister two years after me, and then my brother eight years after me. So yes, yeah, so that's where we that's how our family came about. We so you uh, grew, you grew up in a biracial family. That's right. That's right. Yes. So there's a lot of challenges with that as well. I mean, just even my, my mother's marriage alone, has, uh, I wouldn't say half of her family, but a good amount of her family didn't attend her wedding because she was marrying a black man who was over 10 years older than her. Um, my father, as you know, as I, as I mentioned, he, had, he didn't have any family here. A couple brothers in New York, and the rest of his family was back in Belize, so he didn't have any family attend. His only close friends of his that he had made in Canada came to his wedding. Came to the wedding, so yeah, my mother, my mother obviously wasn't it wasn't approved of by the entire family for her taking those steps to marry a black man back then. Um, and yeah, that's how how that occurred, and she went ahead with it anyways, obviously because she loved my father, and they they dealt with a lot of obstacles just in terms of just the social aspect, right? The way they were, it was frowned upon to a certain degree back in the seventies. Right? Did see they grow, did they live in like uh, Scarborough or where, where did they live? They lived in North York. Okay. Yes. So they had an apartment building in North York and then they moved from the apartment building to a small condo when I was born, which, and then when my sister was born, so they, we still lived there. We grew up in North York for a couple years. I went to grade one at the, the, the school near there, so kindergarten grade one, and then we moved to Markham, Ontario, with uh, some friends because we attended Agent Court Pentecostal Church back then when we lived in Markham. And my dad had some very close friends that were in the church with us. And there was a new, a new build happening in Markham. And one of the other biracial families as well 
Guyanese and white. They were purchasing a home in this area, in this new subdivision, and my parents did the same. So we kind of moved with them, and we, we call their children our cousins to this day because we knew, we've known them all our lives. And so they, I guess they, they kind of did that to, to have each other's, I don't want to say have each other's back, but just because they had that in common, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, people frowned upon it. So, you know, bring those type of people close to you and, and just kind of be able to deal with it together, you know? Wow. I actually didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things that we've talked about, because uh, we, we chat, you know, whenever we can, and you're also mm-hmm. part of our, our, our small group, our Genesis men's, men's group. Yes. But uh, we've talked about how you lost your father. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I, I think that that affects fatherhood and the growing up and living. And, and I don't know if you're comfortable maybe telling us like how did losing your father, losing that parent affect you and your the life of your family? Well, this was a, this, that was a major, major uh, piece in, in the change in my life and um, some of my fundamental, you know what I mean, know-hows, like just what I was dealing with from a family aspect to my father getting sick. So my father was the breadwinner of the family. My mother didn't work. My dad ran his own business. My mom, my mom was his secretary, I guess you could say. She did his paperwork for him, but she was at home all the time. We, us as children would come home for lunch. We'd have lunch with my mom. We'd go back to school. She was always there to, to help us and assist us, right? So when my father got sick, he ended up getting sick with a brain tumor on his pituitary gland. Wow. So I'm not sure how they can do with how the technology is nowadays, but in the early 90s, the laser treatment they had for this particular type of tumor couldn't remove anything more than about 97% without potentially striking the pituitary and the pituitary controls so much of our bodily functions that they were worried that if they were to try to take any more than 97%, it would affect his motor skills. It could affect his hair growth, his sweat. Like there's so many pieces to the pituitary gland, right? So after his first brain surgery, they reduced it to 97, they reduced 97% of it. And the idea was it's going to eventually grow back. Mm -hmm. right and obviously my father was a very very faithful man to the lord so it was a lot of prayer we had prayer meetings at our house a lot of the time the church would come over pray with us and you know i mean assist us and it took about i would say maybe three to four years before it grew back again um to the point where they started to look into scheduling him for a second brain surgery to reduce it again Mm -hmm. so they were able to do that he recovered after a couple months. He went back to running his business, you know, and all the, all the, during these times while he was off, the church was helping us out with food and whatnot. Cause again, my mother didn't work. We, and we were young children then. I think I was, when this began, I was about 10. My sister was eight and my brother was two. So my mother had a lot on her plate dealing with us. And my dad was sick and even in recovery, he needed her help and her assistance. So after the second surgery, we had a nurse that would come to our home at nighttime to help with my father, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So with some of the, some of the demands he had. And um, yeah, it ended up after second surgery, it ended up taking his vision basically from one of his eyes, the pain that the, I guess the tumor had caused was putting such pressure on his optic nerve that he had to wear an eye patch, even like having light on it would cause him to have severe pain to the point where he would be screaming from it, like literally. So 
So as the pressure started to rebuild after the second surgery, he had a, a short period of time where he was fine. Maybe a couple of years had passed. He was good. But again, it started to grow back and the pain started to really affect his his one uh, eye. And like, again, he would be waking up in the middle of the screaming, ah, like in, in intense pain wow. to the point where the nurse that was staying at our house at nighttime would would had to go to the back to the doctor's the hospital and they prescribed him morphine. Because it was such incredible pain that he was under. So, um, yeah. So this is they, they. He had the third surgery, and during prior to the third surgery occurring, they said this is going to be last. We can't continue to have brain surgery. You can't. You know, a couple years later, have another surgery. This potentially will be the last time that we can actually operate on your on your brain without. I guess. I'm not exact, I'm not a doctor, but I'm guessing that, you know, after you operate on the brain so many times, there could be issues that could come of that with the healing and whatever else. Yeah. So yeah. after the third brain surgery, he, they said, we won't be able to operate anymore after this. We've done the best we could, you know, I guess the rest of it's in God's hands and we wish you all the best. So the countdown began at that time, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in one sense, as much as we miss him, we were able to, digest the fact we were going to be losing our father over the next few years so you know we just tried to have it do as much as we could with him you know and he was a very strong-willed individual so even though he was battling with you know i mean the 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 pain of after the fact he was still trying to get up and do things normally and you know he would fall down sometimes and just trying to go through just trying to still be the man that he was even after his last surgery and it, 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 it was the mind's telling you to do it but the body just couldn't cooperate right so so yeah so up until that last after the third surgery he he passed away on which quite coincidentally april 6th which was yesterday but uh, oh, it was wow. ni- 1995 yeah. so yeah yesterday we went up to his grave site to visit him it was it was good i took my brother up there but um and yeah. how, how old were you when, when that happened? When he passed, I was 15. 15. I was 15. My sister was 13 and my brother was five or eight, give or take. He's eight years younger than me. I was 15. So what's the math there? Seven. He was seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was the youngest. So he was the one that he didn't, obviously we didn't get enough time with him, all of us, but he had the least time to really get to know my father. Right. But uh, yeah, so the f- we went to the funeral, we, we buried him, and then we were in a position where we had to, uh, we had to sell our home, because my mom, obviously, like I had mentioned, she wasn't working, so she started getting a widow's pension, and uh, is he going to bed? My son's coming to say goodnight to me. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Hi, Pastor Israel. Say hi. <laughs> okay, I love you. My kiss. Okay, go, mommy. Go get your babas. Yeah. So you were saying where you left off? Yes. I yes. Was saying that um, um, you, your family ended up having to to sell your home. Yes. So that's another issue because my mother. Because of the bills and things, we didn't sell immediately. My mom was trying to see how what she could balance for a short period of time with the little bit of funds that she had in her account. But once he passed away, my father ended up having business debt because he ran his own business. 
So once mom sold the house, she had to pay off a lot of his existing debt, mm. right? So, so it came at a loss for her. So she wasn't able to recoup. Like she had done work with my father and mother, well, even though while he was sick, we got the basement refinished to try to, you know, up the value of the home. But after paying off all of his, his business debts, um, she wasn't left with much. Mm. You know what I mean? And so she had taken a loss on the sale of the home. Um, we ended up, she, I shouldn't say we, my mom was doing all the work herself. I was only 15 years old. I was still trying to process what had happened. I went to school the same day. Like when my mom came down to my, my bedroom, cause like really? I said, we had the, yeah, we went, we had the basement finished. My mom came down to me crying saying, you know, your father's finally gone to heaven. And I was like, Oh mom, it's okay. You still got us kids. We're here for you. Mom we will support you. And then basically I said, okay, well, I don't know what to do with myself. So I'm just going to go to school. So off I went to school that day. And I remember my friends talking to me. They're like, Hey, what's wrong? Cause I guess I was kind of like, uh, like, you know, yeah. showing signs of what I of what I was dealing with. And they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, my dad died, you know? And they're like, what are you doing here? Why are you at school? And I'm yeah. like, what, am I, what else am I supposed to do? You know, um, as a, I, I'm a high school teacher. And sometimes I have to remind myself that you don't know what people are going through. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you just don't know what they're going through. And I, I can't imagine, you know, um, a kid sitting in my class you know, the day that, you know, a, f- a family member has passed away. Passed away. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and so, um, so uh, I guess what kind of a impact effect did that have on your life? Where did that take you and, and uh, whatnot? Well, I mean, like I had said, my father was the foundation of our family. He was the one, not only the breadwinner, but he was the one that pushed our faith in Christ, all of our lives, whether it be crusaders on Wednesdays, Sunday school, then church service, then after church, get together with the church folk. And he was always the one pushing it. My mom, my mom was a believer, but my father was very, very strong in the Lord, you know, and many people will still uh, remind me of that. And many times they have met up with him, whether it be in the grocery store and they're explaining to my dad that they're going through a hard time and he would take their hands in the middle of the grocery store and pray with them. And not care what people think, you know, that was the type of man that he was, right? So he was very indulged in the Lord. And that's why I have no, I have no second guesses as to his whereabouts in in the presence of the father now and watching over us until our time comes. But uh, during that time, you know, 15, turning 16 now, a very, very um, serious time in a young man's life. You know, you're 16 years old. You don't know what you're still trying to become a man. You're still trying to understand who you are. You're, you're, you're following some into the, into society and not society, but into other teenagers. Like you're, you're, you're almost trying to be cool. Like, you know, you don't know yourself. You have no clue who you yeah, are. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, my mom had to sell the house and the only home she could afford at this time was in the South end of Oshawa. So we knew nothing of Oshawa at this time, other than to me, it was a hick town. We're moving out to the hicks. There's going to be no black people there. Like, what's going to happen? I'm going to be outcasted. Like, you know, I had no clue. So we came to south end of Oshawa, and um, that's where my life started to spiral out of control. And I think that was my way of, of I shouldn't say dealing with it, but it was my way of drowning away my, my pain. I started drinking beer, alcohol, hanging out with, because you got to keep in mind, 
in context, in the south end of Oshawa, you have many broken families, many mm-hmm. young children who are lost because their parents aren't together. Some of their parents are, you know what I mean, whether they're out of work or they do drugs themselves or they drink themselves. So I was amongst these individuals who were, had gone through hard times, just the same as I had. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, we, this is the way that we dealt with it smoking pot together, drinking excessive alcohol, getting drunk, you know what I mean? Just acting so erratically and not taking, not just putting the father behind us. I, I no longer had a relationship with him. I didn't go to church anymore. My mom, you know, I think she went to church for the first little bit just by herself, but she ended up losing some of her faith as well, just because of everything she had gone through. And she would explain that to me, you know, after all uh, we've, I've fought through Dan, after everything, people not accepting our relationship, your dad being everything I've gone through, marrying your father and, you know, all of this. And now look, this is what I get for it, mm-hmm. for being ridiculed and for being, you know, cast away for being with a black man and all these things. And now look, now your father's gone and I'm by myself. And, you know, so I know that started to play in her mind and really cause a level of depression, which she still battles with today. Um, either way, but yeah, so that's where my, me and my sister, who was two years younger than me, we started hanging out with, you know what I mean, similar crowds and people and just miss skipping school, not listening to my mom. It got to the point where my mom got so frustrated with us, she would start taking drives, drive away for the night. Because, like, I would be in my basement drinking at 17 years old with other 17-year-old underagers. And I'd say, whatever, mom, like, this is, what I'm, this is what we're doing. You can't stop me from doing this. Just rebelling. Rebelling and drinking and inviting people over to do the same with me. And then we'd go out and walk the streets and cause havoc. Like, ridiculous adolescents. And my mom became so frustrated because we weren't listening to her that she would leave and leave us for a night or sometimes two. And we'd just be at the house. I'd be taking my brother was at this time, maybe nine or maybe closing in on 10. If I was 17, he was nine. But so, yeah. So he would see us doing this. It was terrible. It was terrible. And I think that had a major impact on my brother's life in going 15 years into the future with his battles now that he's had. But, um, yeah, so that took up a major piece of my life, man. I'm telling you, like, my, my true calling to the Father to come back to the Lord wasn't until, what year is this? We're in 2021 now. Mm-hmm. 2018, man. 2018 was when I started saying, I, I, this lifestyle I've been living is so wasteful. What have I been doing? And, you know, mm-hmm. something called me. Like, well, I shouldn't say something. My, one, of my, one of my best friends ended up passing away. And that really kind of laid the, the, the fork in it, so to speak, where I was like, this lifestyle is so terrible. Like, look what's happened to him now. I, I've got to really turn back to the Lord. This is where my roots were. My roots are this. And I know he's been calling me for so long and I've just been ignoring and, you know, turning to alcohol, turning to even drugs, turning to women. It was terrible, man. It was terrible. And when you consistently keep yourself around those type of people, it doesn't seem like it's that bad, right? Like you're just like, hey, this is what we do. On our, we work during the week. We take care of our bills. But on the weekend, we're going to let loose and we're going to party it up and we're going to hang out with women. And, you know, and when you're doing it in a, in a group setting where others are doing the same, it's it seems like it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that lasted from about from the time I was about 17 when I really started getting into it till 
2018 and I was 37. Like we're talking 20 years of my life. So uh, you just had kind of a, an amazing story and a testimony um, and uh, coming back to your faith um, <clears throat> and, you know, making it through um, such a, a turbulent period of time. Cause you know, I can't imagine that uh, living, you know, with those types of risks for 20 years, uh, many people don't make it through that. You know? That's right. And I've seen it firsthand, you know, and I've always had, I know the Lord has always been on my shoulder whispering, right? Trying to bring me back, but I was ignoring it. But he was keeping me safe. Like, you know, we were in the midst of like, let me tell you, brother, like, I'm talking about a lot of things, gun situations, robberies. I was, I was, I went as far as I was selling dope. I was selling dope during some of my mid twenties, younger twenties. And I was living on my own and we had money to afford it because we were involved in that type of lifestyle. But like guys tried to rob me. They tried to home invade me because they knew what I was up to. Like it got to, these were the things I was dealing with, man. And the, the, through it all, as undeserving as I am, the Lord kept close to me, protecting me through each and every wrong decision, man. And I mean, even with the tattoos I put on my body, it was always a battle. My, my, and it's so telling now because I look back and like at the time I'm like, yeah, I want to get an angel wing and a devil wing and, you know, reap what you sow. And, you know, the devil with the devil is a liar around, but then I want to get... Daniel in the lion's den with him praying to God. My, like, you know, for better, mm -hmm. for worse, God giveth, God taketh, all these things. Like, I was constantly battling, right? And that's if my body's telling the story, like what I was dealing with. I was mm -hmm. going back and forth, fighting, fighting through it, trying to say, you know, I know there's a God. I know my foundation is still there, but I keep listening to what the devil is trying to get me to do and, and following this, 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 this level of sin. And it was just... It was corruption, man. It was corruption. And it took me a long time to pull myself out. But many people don't, like you mentioned. But I was able to pull myself out of that quicksand, brother. Well, I shouldn't say I was. I reached out and the Lord pulled me out, you know. And, and he's been working in me ever since. Mm -hmm. Ever since, man. Giving me the strength just to get through. And and, and with all the added responsibilities of fatherhood. I know we're going to get into that next. But, like, everything. Like, the Lord has been the one that has given me the energy to get stay up late if I have to work or whatever, get up early and making breakfast and do whatever I got to do, man. Yeah. You know, just, it's all the Lord. It's all the Lord. So, like, I, um, and so we're at a, we're at a spot now in your life where um, I wonder if you could tell me a bit about your, your family right now. Like mm -hmm. where you are, your, your son there came in to, to kiss you a uh, good night. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, so maybe you could tell me a little bit about your, your family right now today yeah man so i'm in a biracial family as well my spouse my fiance i should say she is uh she's white well she's half half portuguese half irish is her background so uh -oh. she's got a lot of fire in her blood put it that way. <laughs> i might but have I to cut say, that part out <laughs> <laughs> but i must say uh I, I owe her a lot for standing beside me through a lot of the decisions I had made. She had been a part of my life. Her and I dated when I was 18, going through it all. And she was 16. 
And, you know, we dated during that younger time of my life. And obviously we, we broke apart because I, uh, there was nothing stable in me to, to have a girlfriend and, you know, so we hadn't made it during then. And then, um, however many years later, I had gone out with my daughter's godfather for his birthday. And this is before I came to Christ. We were going out to the bar to go have drinks to celebrate his birthday. I think he, maybe he was turning 32 or something like that. And there she was outside of this club. I just happened to bump into her. Jen, wow. So we exchanged numbers. And she ended up calling me later and told me that she literally had a dream about me the night before, that she had seen me. And then the next day, here I am in wow. person. Yeah, and so she she had said, even though at that point she wasn't a strong believer, she she believed in Christ and God, but she didn't follow her faith. Like you know what I mean? But she said, you know, I think God brought you back to me, and I think this is we're supposed to be together. And but me at that, I was very, I wasn't ready for that type of scenario because I had I had just come out of my situation with my daughter's mother, which hadn't worked out. Her and I broke up when my daughter was nine months old. Um. There's a long story there, but I, I still, I was still going through, I was not releasing myself of the childish ways. I was still drinking on the weekends. I was still acting erratic on the weekends and being a fool. So my daughter's mom um, decided that it wasn't in her best interest to continue on with me. And um, she ended up moving back to her. Well, she wasn't really li living here per se. She was staying here at my home off and on. But she went back to her parents' house and, and stayed there with my newborn daughter. And I tried to make it work for up to nine months after that, going back and forth and back and forth and letting her know. Because I was doing a lot as well. I was, I was working full-time. I was going to night school full-time. And I was doing whatever else on the side, like drinking and trying to release my anxiety, like all the pressures of the things I was doing during the week through work and night school and constantly go, go, go on a Saturday night. Yeah, sure, guys. If you guys are going out, I'm coming out. I need to let loose. I've been wound up all week. You know what I mean? With work and school, I want to do that, right? And obviously, the I didn't take the time to invest into her as, and my daughter as much as maybe I should have, right? In, in hindsight now. But um, so that didn't work out. Like I said, my daughter was nine months old when we broke up. And uh, I ended up being on my own. And I told myself, that's it. I'm not going to be in any type of relationship like this again. I tried. I had a potential family thing. And I wasn't putting the blame on myself. You know what I mean? I was blaming them outside. They don't understand me. They don't, you know, consider everything I'm doing and how hard I'm working to better myself. Who cares if I get drunk on a Saturday? Who cares? Like, and it just, it wasn't, I, I am to blame for it, you know? So... It, does, it takes a while. And when you step out of it to really in, in, in reflection to say, you know, had I done things different, there might have been a different outcome. But it's all the way it was supposed to be, because, like I said, it brought me back with my ex, Jennifer, who was my childhood high school kind of sweetheart, if you must. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and we have a beautiful son now who you just met. His name is Lincoln. And he is two years old still. Well, his full name, I should tell you, I'll tell you my kid's full name. My son's name is Lincoln Samuel Job Peters. Uh, so we've got a couple <laughs> strong biblical names guys, in there. Well, you guys are the names, man. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter's name is Preston Marie Don Peters. Mm -hmm. So those are my children. But uh, yeah, so um, 
into this relationship, I finally submitted, I will say, because I was, I had the bullhorns down. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not taking part in a serious day. I'm like, if you want to hang out with me here and there, you can, but I'm going to live for myself and for my daughter now, because this is all I have. And I'm not looking to partner up with anyone. I'm just going to focus on raising my daughter properly, get my weekends, get my time with her. And outside of that, I'm just going to try to better myself. I don't have time to, you know, entertain a woman to that on that level. And yeah, but she stuck with it, man. I'm telling you, the wow. Lord must have been working because she had the patience to sit there and deal. She dealt with a lot. Let me tell you, man, she's dealt with a lot. And a lot of the truth had to come out for me to get through it and to, to acknowledge it and to, to recognize it and to change it to better ourselves. Right. So uh, kudos to her, man, for just slugging it out and continuing on to say, you know, it's worth it to me. I'm not going to give up on Dane. Thank you for joining our conversation with Daniel Peters. We're not finished. Next time we will talk more about being a part of a biracial and blended family and the challenges and successes in his fatherhood journey. This is Israel Harriet with the Genesis Man Project. 